Welcome to another week and another episode of the Life Plus God podcast. I am your host, Alyssa Robinson, and today Denise Robinson is back on the show. Welcome back, Mom. Yay, glad to be here. So glad that you're here. You're going to get to hear from Denise on all three episodes this month as we're going to explore some of the greatest heroes, villains, and romances from the Bible. So this is going to be stuff you want to hear. It's really good. Yeah. Any chance to sit and talk to my daughter? Yeah. This is the only opportunity. She wants to talk to me and I'm like, (laughs) only if you come on the podcast. (laughs) Yep. That's the way it works. (laughs) So today we're focusing on heroes. So the big question that we're asking is who are the unsung heroes of the Bible? Oftentimes when you think about the heroes, uh, we think of the big stories like the story of Moses and Abraham and Paul and even Jesus as like the big heroes, King David, big heroes of scripture. But there are a lot of people, characters in those stories that support these people that often go unnoticed or unstudied. So I think that we're going to spend some time going through some of these bigger stories. And uh, I'm excited to hear your perspective, Mom. Well, and some of that is because they might be given a sentence or a paragraph and nothing more. And so when people are reading it, they just gloss over it or they never read it at all. So are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start with Moses. This is my Cliff's Nose version. Moses is a prophet of Judaism. In the Jewish tradition, he is revered as one of the greatest prophets and teachers. Uh, In the book of Exodus, he was born in Egypt to Hebrew parents who um, set him afloat in the Nile because uh, it was King Herod, right? Oh, sorry. Pharaoh. (laughs) King, I'm getting my my King books Herod confused. Is long, long way in the future. In the future. Okay, <laughs> so uh, there was a Pharaoh who was persecuting the Israelite people, and this was in the process of enslaving the Israelite people, and um, no children were safe. And so they decided the safest thing to do for my kid is to put my baby in a basket and send him down the Nile River because he has a better chance of surviving uh, doing that than staying with us. Which I just can't imagine that decision. So Moses was sent afloat on the Nile in a reed basket to save him uh, from an edict calling for the death of all newborn Hebrew males. Um, He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter and was raised in the Egyptian court as an Egyptian. However, our understanding was that he was in touch with his Hebrew heritage. He knew at some point that he was actually Jewish. And so he felt a connection to the slaves. This is my understanding. So one of, just to add to that, just so there is complete understanding, uh, Pharaoh's, uh, Moses's sister was standing there when Moses was taken out of the river and she offered to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I know a Hebrew woman that could nurse him. Mm. And the Hebrew woman she knew happened to be Moses's mother. Oh, okay. Who ended up nursing. And when we think of nursing, we thinking, we're thinking up to one year, but nursing could have been up to seven years. Yeah. So he actually grew up with his mom. And so she probably taught him a lot of Absolutely. the Hebrew uh, faith traditions. So he was raised as an Egyptian um, and he 
killed a brutal Egyptian taskmaster. So he was ra- he was grown. He went out into the community, saw that um, an Egyptian taskmaster was severely abusing um, one of the Hebrew slaves and feeling a kinship with these people. He killed the taskmaster. And then after that, he knew he couldn't go back home. So he fled to Midian, uh, was sheltered and cared for by a man named Jethro, ended up marrying uh, one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. And it was in Midian where God revealed God's self in a burning bush, which is a story that most of us are very familiar with, and called Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And from there, Uh, This is the story of Moses and his brother Aaron going to the Pharaoh, pleading for the Israelites' release, Uh, the Pharaoh refusing to let them go. Uh, God sends a series of plagues on the Egyptian people, which I'm not going to get into because this is the Cliff's Notes version. But after all of that, the Pharaoh finally let them go. but he sent his army after them. So it was kind of like he feigned uh, abiding by God's law and said, okay, I'm going to let your people go. The people started to escape. And then he said, all right, army, go kill them. I think he got weary of the request. Yeah. And then after they left, it was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Just kill them all. my slave force. And so he sent the army after them to kill all of them. That's when the parting of the Red Sea happened. Moses and the Israelites walk through the Red Sea. The sea closes behind them and the whole army is drowned uh, pursuing the Israelites. Um, And then it continues on from there. But that's the main story. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. But that's, this is like the big hero story of Moses that we know before it gets tedious of having to deal with this community of people that he just freed for 40 years of complaining. But uh, this version that I just gave you, like this is the origin story. This is the hero story of Moses. Uh, But there are a lot of extra people in that story that we don't think about who made all of this possible. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to you and let you butt in and fill in some of the blanks for us. Well, and we already, you already shared Pharaoh's daughter and that's, you know, we're not going to go into any further, but before that even happened, there are two heroes that I immediately, when Alyssa said, I want to do a segment on heroes. These were, these were the first names that popped in my head, and most of you have never heard of them. And their names are Shipra and Pua. Who were they? Well, they were midwives. And so what happened is the Hebrew people go back a little further. Joseph, you think of Joseph, and, and he was well-known in the Egyptian culture, and years have passed but the Hebrew people are still living there and they're multiplying and they're getting bigger. And so Pharaoh's getting concerned that they're going to become more powerful. So he wants to enslave them. And he does. He makes the Hebrew people their slaves. Then he decides they're still growing more powerful. I don't want any more men because they're going to be too more, too powerful. So I want to kill all the newborn males. And he calls in the midwives and says, here's what I want you to do. Just kill them. When they're born, kill any Hebrew babies. 
Well, these two women, Shipra and Pua, they immediately recognize that that is not a just edict. And they decide, and it also says in the, in the Bible that they were God believers. And we don't know any more than that, but it tells us that, that they believed that there was a God. And so they took it upon themselves not to kill any babies. And if you know anything about midwives, everything that they do is about new life. Can you imagine how horrific that their job was to try to kill babies? And so they just disobeyed Pharaoh. That's not a simple thing to do. Well, yeah, because at that time, Pharaoh wasn't just the ruler and leader. Pharaoh was a god in and of himself. If you were a Pharaoh, you were a god. And so to the Pharaohs, if you're disobeying orders, you're disobeying God. Yeah, they were risking their own life to save life. And I think I just think that's a beautiful thing beautiful statement of heroism. And then Pharaoh gets wind of it and he calls them in and said, what is going on? And they say, wow, these Hebrew women are so much stronger than our women. And they're having these babies before we even get there. So they even take it one step further and they say, you know what, we are going to do everything we can to protect what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And they knew it was a justice issue. So it's a beautiful story that is very brief, but immediately it is someone saying, this is a justice issue and I need to respond differently. And so I really like that. Mm -hmm. And then you go on with the Moses story. And like you said, we already shared, like I said, about Pharaoh's daughter, but then you go on and you have you have Moses, the story you had shared, Moses goes to Midian, he's escaping and he goes to Midian and he, um, it actually starts out that Moses is a little hero. Moses is at a well in Midian taking a break after he has fled and the seven daughters of Jethro are there. And some shepherds really start being inappropriate and mean to them. And Moses steps in and prevents anything really difficult from happening to these women. And so they take him back to, actually, they leave him at the well. The daughters go home and the dad's like, you mean you left him there? I mean, gosh, he helped you bring him back. So they bring him back. And that's how he ends up marrying Zipporah. It's interesting because in Jewish tradition, outside of scripture, they also have that Zipporah, that, that Moses was actually put in the well by the shepherds after this, and that Mo, that Zipporah goes back and saves him from the well. That's not in our Bible, but that's a, a Jewish tradition. And so Zipporah ends up marrying Moses. And then, as you said, the whole burning bush thing. Well, then we have this very bizarre story that takes place in Scripture. It's in Exodus chapter 4. And I'm not going to go into full details about it, but to tell you, it's one that it's hard to understand. The translations don't do it justice. It it also combines two traditions, a Midianite tradition and a Hebrew tradition together. And so we're not really sure what to do with it. But basically, the short version of it is, that Moses is heading towards, back towards Egypt to do the whole let my people go thing. 
And on the way, Scripture actually says that um, God kind of disables him, that God attacks Oh, yeah, the him. whole, like, God tries to kill Moses. <laughs> God tries thing. to kill Moses kind of thing. Um, there's lots of, di- I've, I've read lots of different versions of explaining that. It's a language problem that we struggle with, but it could mean everything from Moses has an anxiety attack to that there was actually a an angel or a person there that was doing something. We don't know. We don't know. But it's attributed to God. And Zipporah realizes that one of the things Moses never did is he never circumcised their son. So he was living, Moses was living in the Midianite tradition, not in the Hebrew tradition. And so Zipporah acts very quickly and immediately circumcises their son. And there's some bizarre language about what she does with the foreskin and all of this. But then whatever is going on with Moses, he is saved and he is fine. And so it's interesting. So it actually says Zipporah saved Moses. Mm -hmm. And it could be any. And it's interesting to me because the fact that she knew about circumcision means one of two things. Maybe there was a Midianite tradition of circumcision or that Moses had told her about it. And she knew instinctively there was something he was supposed to do that he hadn't done. And so he wasn't following Well, and that's one of the things of like Zipporah, I feel like is a hero in her own right, because I was looking into her a little bit and I just made a list of like, she basically sacrificed everything for Moses, like including her culture, like to uh, make sure, and I guess you could call it a conversion to the Jewish faith or, or whatever you want to call it, but she gave up absolutely everything. She saved his life multiple times. Um, and she basically raised their kids all on her own because it talks about how, uh, while Moses was off doing the, let my people go and, and starting to take the people, uh, to to, toward the promised land and everything, she kind of met up with him with the kids later. And so she was raising the kids all by herself, doing her own thing. She faced racism from Moses's family. They didn't want to accept her because she was Midianite. And so that's another layer on top of her story of not only was she really like emotionally supporting this man who was saving the Israelite people, but she faced discrimination from those people. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, and it's, and it's a complicated story because it actually says at one point before Moses continues with the whole, let my people go and all of that, it actually says that he sent her away. And so when we read, he sent her away, we are almost thinking divorce, separating, but it could have been he sent her away for her safety Mm -hmm. with all of this going on. But regardless, he was an absent father. Yeah. And you can't, and then. And whether it's for good reason or bad reason, probably doesn't make a difference to the kids. It doesn't make a difference. (laughs) And then everything that he did from there on out was focused on God and the people and we don't ever read anything about a relationship anymore. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the next thing that happens, her father, Jethro, this is, we are fast forwarding and the, the Hebrews are wandering in the desert 
and in the wilderness and, um, and Moses is trying to do it all. And so this is in chapter 18 of Exodus and Jethro, his father-in-law brings Zipporah and the kids to, to see Moses. And it's interesting because scripture then doesn't tell us anything more about Zipporah and the kids. It doesn't even tell us that Moses goes and hugs them and says, oh, I'm so glad. It doesn't give us any information, but it does highlight Jethro. Not a surprise. Let's focus on the man story, but don't even get me started. Um, But Jethro looks at Moses and says, oh, my goodness, you are trying to do too much. And you know what's going to happen when you try to do too much? You're not going to be effective in any of it. And that's all like, we all are very familiar with that, right? And so Jethro recommends to him a very practical way of dividing up the responsibilities, only doing what's most important, but allowing other people to be equipped to help him with the hard work of managing and helping and working with this massive group of people. Mm -hmm. I think that's heroic. Sometimes in our lives, I think we've all experienced this, where sometimes in our life, we are just so overwhelmed. And we need someone to step in and say, you don't have to do all of this. Yeah. And someone says, hey, wait a minute. You're spinning your wheels here. (laughs) Yeah. And, And you can't even imagine that. Mm -hmm. And isn't that one simple little thing pretty heroic? I think it is. So, yeah, you mentioned all the other things that Zipporah faced and and we don't know anything. There's even speculation that some of the some of of what um, Miriam was saying to Moses, his sister, Miriam is Moses's sister. Some of what she was saying to him was like, you have ignored your wife, that she was reprimanding him. Mm. But at the same time angry at him because he was had married outside of the faith. So it's a very convoluted story. But well, at the, all families are complicated. Yeah, right? it's complicated. <laughs> That's right. But I think that the hearing all of these individual characters and stories coming together is a good reminder that the story of Moses doesn't exist without this community of support. Like every step of the way from the time that G or from the time that Moses was a helpless baby and couldn't do anything for himself. He was being cared for by the community, by people who many go unnamed. We don't even know their names. We don't even, a lot of unnamed women in scripture who are just constantly supporting and uplifting these people. And like without Jethro stepping in, without Zipporah stepping in, without all of these people, do we even have a Moses? Well, and the other thing that I want to mention is Moses wasn't perfect either. Right. And so a lot of times we put, we elevate these heroes to a status that isn't real. And the reality is there's scripture passages of where, I mean, Moses never got into the promised land because he disobeyed God. Yeah, People forget about that kind of stuff. And so I think that's, I find that comforting that we can do heroic things and still be flawed because we all well and this is all just tip of the iceberg for there are so many other characters in the Moses story so open the book of Exodus and read it for yourself because there are a lot of unsung heroes in that book and 
as mom mentioned, some of which it, there's one sentence about them and it moves on. So it's nice to just read through it and imagine what was that person thinking, feeling, uh, experiencing in that one sentence that we can get from them. But I want to put a pin in Moses and let's go to Jesus uh, and talk about at a super high level, what's the story of Jesus? This one's a tough one to condense. So, <laughs> you know, I had this very, very short, short elevator pitch about Jesus. And then I hear Alyssa's whole narrative on Moses. And I'm thinking you might want me to give a little more detail. So Jesus, we call Jesus, Jesus Christ. You often hear that. And many people just think Christ is his second name, but Christ actually means anointed one or Messiah. And so in our faith tradition, Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus had a miraculous birth. We don't hear much about him except a little brief instant when he was 12 years old. And then after that, we don't have anything about him until he was 30 when he is baptized by John the baptizer. And then Jesus actually, after that moment, enters the wilderness, has a time of preparation, which equates with what we call Lent. And you've done several podcasts on Lent about this. And so that's interesting, too. And at that point, after that time in the wilderness for the 40 days, Jesus begins his ministry. During Jesus's time of ministry, which lasts three years, he calls disciples to him to help him in ministry. He is teaching. He is healing. He is pointing people to what he refers to as the kingdom of God. And basically what Jesus is teaching over and over and over again is love God, love people. And he is not only teaching that, he's modeling that. And so we have this three years of incredible ministry with many highlights, including a moment that's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus has a powerful spiritual encounter that some of the disciples get to witness on into the, the crowds following him, leaving him, being angry at him, all kinds of things. The one group of people that were not fond of Jesus at all were the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They felt like Jesus was disrupting the whole Jewish order of the time. And really what Jesus was doing was saying, we're expanding upon it. And I'm, I'm teaching you even more. I'm fulfilling everything God said. But they saw their own way of life being threatened a little bit. And so, and their power being and their power being threatened a a lot. Religious authority, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, during Holy Week, we celebrate. We talk about this all the time. But Jesus, after intensive teaching, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, denied by one of his own, and then crucified. It doesn't end there, though. And that's that there is a resurrection. And during that resurrection, Jesus also has a relationship with his disciples again and is in conversation. And then he ascends. And then what we just celebrated in our liturgical year is Pentecost, because the next thing that happens is Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to reside with us today. And so that's the Cliff Notes version of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. Mm. 
Okay. So I had so much trouble just trying to pick out a few unsung heroes from Jesus's story because there are so many. There are so many people who uplifted and supported and participated in his ministry. But I wanted to call out a few specifically from uh, the miracles that Jesus performed. And I'm not doing this to take away from his miracles, but it's more to emphasize that that we can participate in the ministry of Jesus. We can participate in the miraculous works happening around us. And I picked out some people that I felt did a really great job participating in the story of Jesus and a willingness to face uncertainty with curiosity and faith. And so I'm going to just go through a few of those real quick. And I love that because I think that's what we're called to do today. I mean, you often hear the church term, be the hands and feet of Christ. And that's exactly what that it is. That is participating Mm -hmm. in God's ministry. But I think that sometimes I get overwhelmed by the idea of like, okay, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the archetype that I'm working towards. Every single day, I need to try harder and harder to be more like Christ. Um, And sometimes that can start to feel overwhelming and impossible. But when I look to these stories, I'm like, okay, I'm doing okay. Like just be present in the moment and be aware of what's happening around you. Uh, So the first one that I want to talk about is Jesus's very first miracle. Um, So many of us know the miracle of turning water into wine, his very, very first one. Uh, It was not something that he had planned. And so they were at a wedding in Cana or at a place in Cana in Galilee. So they were uh, his mom and him. So Mother Mary, Jesus, and his disciples had all been invited to this wedding. And at the wedding, they ran out of wine. And so Mary turns to Jesus and is like, we ran out of wine. And this interaction always cracks me up. Jesus is like, woman, what do you want me to do about it? It's not yet my time. And she doesn't argue with him. She's not like, no, you have to do this. It's just in this motherly way, she turns to the service and says, just do what he tells you as if like, I know you're going to obey me and provide more wine for this wedding at the end of the day. <laughs> like, So I think that gives us some fun little insight into Mary and Jesus's relationship. Uh, but the people I want to focus on are the servants at this wedding. There are so many, and not just in this miracle, but throughout the narrative of, uh, Jesus, there are servants everywhere. And so what Jesus does is there are um, six huge jars of uh, that are empty. And so Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And I want to stop there because say, I think that they specify in this scripture uh Six stone water jars, each who, who, holding, by the way, are about waist high. Yeah, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I don't know if y'all have given any thought to how difficult it was to access water. It wasn't just turn on the tap and, and move these jars under the tap. This would have been 
all of the servants pitching in to go back and forth from the well to fill up these six huge stone jars of water that hold up to 30 gallons each. And so this is a lot of work a lot being of work. put into this so that Jesus can perform this miracle. And the servants, there's one sentence that said the servants did it. And we're like, okay, great. The servants did it. But if you really stop and think about the amount of effort that it takes and the participation that they, they willingly did to facilitate this miracle of Jesus, it, it kind of blows my mind. And here's another little layer to that is that um, it's not just running out of wine, like at our party at you know, that we have today, it's like, well, I ran out of wine. I'm sorry. This is a total embarrassment to the host. It is mortifying that the host has run out of wine at a wedding. And so not only are the servants going through this very difficult labor, there is a recognition that they are helping protect the image. Oh yeah. I'm guessing it's a very high stress scenario right now. And I'm not going to say like the servants were happy and willing and able and, and just selfless. And most likely they were slaves. Most likely they were not paid servants. They were indentured servants or they were, they belonged to the household in some way, but they're still participating in the ministry of Jesus, which I think is incredible. And so that's why I wanted to recognize them as the unsung heroes of this moment. They did all of the labor to make this happen. And I just wanted to point that out. I think that's cool. Another miracle that I love, and I think that there are definitely some unsung heroes in this story, is one that you and I were actually talking about this morning, is uh, Jesus heals a man who was lowered through the ceiling. So a man who couldn't walk was, uh, so Jesus was teaching in a house and there were a group of friends who they had someone with them who couldn't walk and he was on a mat and they were trying to figure out how can we get him to Jesus? It's so, this house is busting. There's no way in. There are people in the windows and the doors, like there's no way to get in. And we know that if we just get him to Jesus, he will be healed. And so these four friends put a plan together of, okay, we're going to put bring him up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, which I'm sure the homeowner loved and lower him down. And Jesus healed him. Well, man, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees because he used this as an opportunity to teach the Pharisees about faith and see the faith of this man who said, if you only touch me, I will be healed. And him talking to the Pharisees of like, this is the kind of faith I'm talking about. But I just keep thinking about those four friends. Those four friends went through a lot. They would yes. do anything for their buddy. And that's so powerful and And so beautiful. And just imagining what relationship these people must have had with each other for them to be so willing and so desperate to get their friend in front of Jesus. And they're not going to receive any direct reward out of it, any accolades. They're not even named. They're just called the friends. Yeah. And 
they, I can't imagine how much strength and frustration it would take to haul somebody on a mat up on top of a roof and then like lower them down. I mean, the amount of strength, physical strength yeah. that would take to do that. Um, so scripture doesn't tell us their age, but I've always had a little bit of a theory that they were um, teenagers. And the reason that I believe that is, is when we look back to our teenage years or our early 20s, our friendships are the fiercest. We are so, so surrounded by our friends and friendship is everything. And also there was destruction of property. Mm. So I feel like... <laughs> They're like, we don't care. We don't care. Um, I feel like it had to be. They had, no, I'm yeah, just kidding. They weren't stopping yeah. to think about <laughs> how much money and time it's going to take to repair that roof. But yeah, we, the, the friends, and we actually use this scripture often to talk about the, the, power of friendship yeah. because friendship is everything and put yourself in both places, put yourself in the place of the person who needs help and put yourself in the place of the friends. And we probably can each think of in our own life of experience we've had where we were the one offering help or the one receiving. Mm -hmm. Or I think about the, the number of people in my life that I love so much that I would do something like that for them. Um, it is, it's a very intimate friendship. It's a very meaningful connection. Like calling them friends is, is weird because they're more like family, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and there's another level to this and that's that obviously somebody whether it was the person who um, was on the mat or whether it was the friends, somebody knew and had heard about Jesus mm -hmm. and knew that there was a possible solution. And so that's sharing information. And sometimes we hesitate to share information. And that's a beautiful example of that, sharing Jesus. So these, this story, these friends are basically, it's three sentences back to back. Uh, they looked for a way to get into the house. They couldn't find a way. So they made a hole in the roof and they lowered him down. That's what we know. And it's like, man, the amount of hours that would have taken, the amount of planning they would have taken, who knows how long they traveled to get there because it doesn't say they were in the community and people were traveling from all over the place to hear the teachings and meet this man, Jesus, that they had heard so much about. Who knows all of the obstacles and hurdles that they overcame to get here. And my guess is as much effort as it took them to get to the house, once they got there, they were like, well, we're not going to not see Jesus after all of this effort, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So those, that one's one of my favorite miracles. And then Beyond that, some of the unsung heroes that I wanted to, to mention are the women who funded Jesus's ministry. So, and this is something I didn't really learn about until later in life, because it's not something that you're taught really as a child when you're going through the ministry of Jesus. We just think of Jesus as a houseless person who has chosen a life of poverty, traveling from town to town, and just begging the community to support him in any way we he can, but that's not 
actually what was going on. Um, there were some named women in scripture, some of the most prominent being Mary Magdalene, who was mentioned over 12 times and sometimes uh, more often than the disciples. Uh, Joanna and Susanna are some of the three main women who are mentioned in Jesus's ministry. Um, Mary Magdalene, we're very familiar with. Um, she comes from, she's named Mary Magdalene because she came from the city of Magdala. Um, there's this misunderstanding of who Mary is because Magdala was known as a city with prostitution and so people attach that to Mary Magdalene, but nowhere in scripture does it say that Mary Magdalene is or was a prostitute. It's actually more likely that she was a very prominent woman in the community and a leader. Um, every time her name is mentioned in a list of women, women, she is mentioned first. And that is a sign of reverence and a sign of uplifting her as a leader. And so I think that that's something that is really important. And if she was prominent in the community and the leader, it's very possible that she had money as well. Um, we don't know that for a fact, but there is one woman, Joanna, that we do know had money. <laughs> So do you have any thoughts on Mary before I moved on to Joanna? No, I just, I, I think that, um, you know, that I think it's, I th I'm glad you brought that up because it drives me crazy when people attach a label that we don't even know is even close to true. There is scripture that talks about her being healed by Jesus mm -hmm. and, um, and we're not given anything more than that, but other than, so that may have been, maybe the healing was her first encounter with Jesus. And then the other thing I want to say, as you're talking about these women that support Jesus is we often think of 12 disciples. There were a lot of disciples. Disciple means follower. Yeah. And there were a lot of disciples and they weren't just men. Mm -hmm. And that's important for us to recognize as well. Yeah. So when we talk about the 12 disciples, that would be more likely to say the inner circle. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were hundreds of people following Jesus everywhere he went. And of course, they're all disciples because he's teaching all of them. Um, Joanna, maybe you know more about her than I do because there's not a ton of mentions of her. But something that's interesting about Joanna is her husband. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Chusa or Chusa? Pronunciations are not my strong suit. C-H-U-Z-A, Shuza, had a position of authority in King Herod's household. Mm -hmm. And so um, people generally married someone of like social status or higher social status to secure their uh, livelihood. So Joanna probably belonged to a prominent Jewish family that supported King Herod as well. Um, it is suspected with this, uh, her and her husband, who are so close to King Herod, not only did they have wealth, so the thought is they might have lent uh, some of their own possessions to the ministry of Jesus and the cause of Jesus uh, since she became very... Uh, 
engaged with who Jesus is. And I would say she was one of the periphery disciples, like you just mentioned. So not only were they probably funding him so that he would have food to eat and all of these things, but the thought is they may have lent their influence as well. Um, They might have helped smooth over some tense political situations for the group for them to be able to move from city to city and not be persecuted uh, throughout the entire ministry and that she might have been doing a lot of the diplomacy and politics behind the scene to soothe the leaders of each of the areas they were going into. It is possible. I can't prove this, but it is possible because women were marginalized. It is possible that they had ways of doing things that would not call as much attention to them. Mm-hmm. So Susanna is another one in Jesus's ministry is who's mentioned by name. Uh, she's mentioned a lot less often, but it's also likely that she was from a prominent family and well known um, and that she was one of the people funding Jesus's ministry. And then in Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56, all of these. So Mary Magdalene, Joanna um, and Susanna are all mentioned. And then uh it also says, and many others. And many others. And many others, the words many others in scripture in the original language have uh, the feminine uh, attribute to it. And so when they say Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others, they're talking about there was a whole crew of women who were the backbone of Jesus's ministry, uplifting, funding, leading, finding resources, smoothing political uh, conflicts, all of this stuff. And the vast majority of them go unnamed or with very few mentions. And so I just thought it was something interesting to bring up as like, um, I'm not trying to say that Jesus's ministry wouldn't have happened without all of these people, but everyone having a willingness to step in and say, here's what I have to bring. And I'm going, I see that what you're, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in who you are and I'm going to give everything that I have, whether I'm recognized for it or not to proclaim you. And don't forget it was some of these same women that were those that went to the tomb after Jesus's crucifixion and were the first to witness the empty tomb. And so every bit is powerful when you talk about them believing and sticking with it and paying attention. So yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's what I have for Jesus. And I didn't do it justice because those are just three of... I don't even know how many stories of unsung heroes well, that we and I could think, cover. And I think to wrap it up with Jesus is to say, you know, Jesus is calling us today to continue doing those faithful heroic acts. We don't have to go to something to do something really big. We don't have to go somewhere else. We can walk across the street and do something that will make a difference to somebody else. And that's what, Jesus is calling us to do today. And I think that that is 
being a hero is being able to lift up your head from the moment that you're in, have some self-awareness, look around you and see how can God use me in this moment where I am with what I have. You know, I had a, an experience one time that really stayed with me. I was in line at a grocery store and there was a customer who was really berating the the checkout clerk left and right. Very rude. Didn't, I mean, just really doing a lot of damage. And I was third in line. So the next person in line looked at that clerk and said, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. And I want you to know that I think you're doing a great job. And then when it was my turn, I said, I, I loved what she said. And I echo that. And she just told me, she said, y'all don't know how much it means that somebody spoke to me. Mm. Didn't just like awkwardly ignore what had happened and, and then move on with your day and yeah. pretend like you didn't just see that. You yeah. Know? And so although I wasn't the hero, I got to witness a hero. And it's just to, to realize that what could have ruined her day, another person changed her day. And I'm betting that's the story she told at the mm. end of the day. Yeah. I think that what I, what I really want to get out of all of this is, um, to think about the unsung heroes in our own life, I think that it has kind of a butterfly effect over time. All of these little moments that just build and build and build to create this like massive movement of love or create huge positive change in the world. And so I think that it's, it's encouraging to not underestimate your role of loving others in big and small ways, because these acts that we see as small, insignificant acts, you never know what, who you're influencing and who you're connecting with and how that person will go on to influence others. And it does just become this butterfly effect or ripple effect or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that that's what these unsung heroes represent to me is they're part of this giant ripple of God's love being, uh, just illustrated through generations. And a hero, again, I want to say, don't elevate a hero to a big, huge act. It can be something small in your mind. Yeah. That might make a huge difference. I, I know recently, several months ago, um, I was at Target and I looked at the handicap spots and there were carts all over them. And so I'm very aware of that because I have people in my family that need to utilize handicapped parking. And so I went over and picked up um, a cart and went and put it back in the cart dock and thought, well, I'm going to go finish that. And when I looked over to finish the rest, I saw two other people picking up carts and moving them into the cart dock. And I can't help but think, I can't prove it, but I can't help but think they saw me do that. And, and decided, then they thought, oh yeah, I should help out. I too. should help out too because yeah. this is preventing someone from having a handicapped parking spot, and so it can be as simple as that. Um, Which took no time out of your day, maybe a few seconds, and it was part of the normal routine that you were going through. But you had this self awareness to look up from your task and see a need in the community, and yeah, it's really really small, but 
I bet that it made those people who stepped in to help out feel a part of something bigger than themselves. And did it make a difference to somebody? I can't help but think somebody got a handicapped parking spot that they didn't have to worry about and it made a difference to them. And so that's just a small example because we also have big examples of people that make a difference that carries on down the road and down the road and down the road. I just love hearing stories like this. And if y'all have stories about unsung heroes in your life who have made a huge difference, I'd love to hear about them because this is just, these are the most uplifting and encouraging stories to me because it makes me feel like I matter. That sounds very selfish, but (laughs) like it, it makes me feel like, I have a place in this world. We all have a place in this world and God can use each of us. And we just have to keep our eyes open to what's happening. And I'm going to issue a challenge. If you have an unsung hero in your life that you do know where they are and what they're doing, write them a note, write them a note and say, thank you. And say, you may not know it, but you may, you impacted my life in this way. It'll make a difference. Thanks for all of your preparation and coming uh, and recording another episode with me. And next week, I will see you back as we talk about who are the greatest villains from the Bible. That'll be a fun one. So go forth as a hero. Yeah, not a villain. (laughs) Not a villain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next week. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.